0: Talking Theatre with Hull with Felix Stowe Smooth, the only podcast on Earth about the theatre.
1: What do you call all the parents and chaperones to all the stage animals and children tied together, placed in a chest, loaded into a cannon, and fired into the North Sea? A good start. Good day. My name is Ho with Felix Toe-Smooth, and apart from being a renowned actor, a philanthropist, and the former confidant of the 13th Dalai Lama, the late Theopton Gatso, I'm also the host of this series, Talking Theatre, the only podcast on Earth about the theatre. And if you are listening, then I'm assuming you listened to the first episode beginnings and thought it was absolutely brilliant, informative, and not just a little bit arousing... And you want to hear more, which, let me tell you, has me a jumping for joy. Figuratively, uh, you understand, two hip replacements have put pay to my jumping days, something my trampoline tutor has suffered immeasurably from. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was joking, chickens, but I was her only student, and since I've stopped the weekly lessons and the accompanying payments, she's lost her house and picked up quite a serious proclivity for narcotics, it has to be said, poor lamb. But anyway, life goes on for us, not her, and so must the podcast. So welcome, 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 welcome to all you listeners who love the show and have returned. Of course, if you are listening, then none of the things I just mentioned are the reason you're listening and you're actually a bit confused now. Perhaps you can't remember why you're even sat where you are or what your name is or what the Prime Minister is, then I beg you to see the nearest general practitioner at your and his earliest convenience. I only mention it as I was fortunate enough to watch Dame Julianne Moore in the wonderful documentary Still Alice t'other day, which uh, follows her as she journeys through the cruelest of diseases, bewilderment. And I do hope that she's getting the help she needs now, and that young Alecky Baldwin is supporting her through it. Truth be told, uh, it was news to me they were either married, and uh, since when When did she give up the acting and become a professor of literature? I mean, seriously, it's a cracking documentary, and I would say it's the best documentary about a celebrity's struggle with illness since that one about Dustin Hoffman dealing with his autism in adverse weather conditions. Uh, anyway, anyway, we digress. To the matter at hand! It was W.C. Fields who said, never work with animals or children. But uh, it was me who added food on because I hate working with food. I mean, I love eating it, don't get me wrong. In that regard, it does the job. In fact, I would go further and say it saves my life every day. I know I'm probably in the minority on this, but I find that if I don't have food after about three or four hours from the last time I've had food, I start to feel a bit tired, my tummy starts to rumble, and I feel what my doctor calls hungry further ignoring of these unusual and strange quirks, and I'm destined to go on to feel weak, hallucinate, and severely salivate when the neighbour walks past with his sausage dog, Roy. And so, along with my personal opinion, children, animals, and food are the (laughs) gruesome subjects of today's ear lecture, and in particular, why all actors must do everything in their power to avoid working with them, even, and I don't say this lightly, my little ponies, Even turning to crime, if necessary. But more about that later. On with the show! In the 1997 show business industry census, actors were asked to write down the top things they felt nobody should have to work with in the theatre. And listeners, it's no surprise that children, animals and food all made the top ten. Animals in particular took the silver medal and were seconded only by stagehand sex pests who shared the top spot with Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's very tempting here to throw my halfpenny tuppence in with a personal opinion on Mr. Andrew Webber. I'm not pronouncing his middle name, it's just ridiculous. He can swivel. But I feel that the near 20 minutes I devote to him in a later episode on why musical theatre is so bad is sufficient enough. All all I will say is this. At restaurants, he never splits the bill. And the only tip I've ever seen him leave a waitress is a handwritten post-it note telling her to always serve from the left and take from the right. Or the other way round, I can't remember. I mean, I said to him in the taxi on the way home, for God's sake, Andy, who cares about all that service stuff? It doesn't matter what way you get your plate. It won't stop the waiter spitting in your dispatcher. Animals, meanwhile, may be at the top of the actor's height chain, but that doesn't negate the fact they've had a long and illustrious career on the stage, unfortunately. And this is to their credit, because on television and film, they are practically non-existent. I mean, you can barely attend a stage performance these days without seeing a pelican or a porcupine shooed horned into the new Carol Churchill play, if that's what you can call hers. But on the screen, you'd be hard-pressed to spot a yak. It's only the bitch who played Lassie, the mare who played Black Beauty, and the giant silverback that played King Kong that have survived in the nation's memories. And even these trailblazing overachievers have now all perished at the hands of Father Time. I should mention for the younger listeners, Father Time was the nickname given to an animal serial killer who wreaked havoc in the late 1980s after becoming obsessed with the animal celebrities, killing all three in one evening known infamously as the Night of the Dead Dog, Horse and Gorilla. It was a huge story, and captured the hearts of the world because of his method of killing, strangulation. And for many, like me, there was an element of the double-edged sword to the whole business. Obviously, his crimes are heinous, and he ought to have been court-martialed and put to death by a firing squad... And he would have, had he been a soldier in the First World War. But one must also admit to a kind of admiration for a man who could strangle a horse, a dog, and a 50-ton gorilla with his bare hands in one sitting. I mean, the work ethic alone is astonishing. I sometimes wondered if Britain's Got Talent had been around in the late 1980s, we might have known him in a different light. I mean, perhaps... A really good juggler, or a plate spinner, or an arm-wrestler, you get the idea. I certainly could see someone like David Williams taking a shine to him. Then again, I think he takes a shine to all the boys on the show, but I mustn't gossip. Willie Williams, they call him, along the whispering corridors of ITV. (laughs) No, I mustn't, I mustn't. Regardless of their popularity with audiences, though, animals are dreadful. And will do all they can to ruin a performance, especially on the stage, which, as you know, is a live experience. I mean, the actors, they're really there on on the stage, you know. No, they are, I assure you. Uh, um, And so, you know, dogs will bark, cats meow, ponies, you know, take large dumps down stage centre. The whole business is a stage manager's nightmare. And the actor, remember, is for the most part absolutely powerless. Ask yourself. Does the actress playing Dorothy have a choice about whether or not she will work with an animal? No, 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 she doesn't. She knows there will be a dog because the audience expect to say toe, toe, toe. And can she choose what type of dog toe, To toe will be? Certainly not. The producer is king and he takes his cue from the, from the well, we'll call them shit-munchers, who buy the tickets. Tickets, by the way, which clearly advertise a a whole show, (laughs) but for which the um, the, the shit-munchers only care about the mutt that appears in the first ten minutes, who, by the way, can't keep his sphincter closed for three lines of dialogue and a short, soft shoe shuffle. Of course, I know this to be a fact. When Ethel Merman, God rest her voice, played Dorothy the year before she died, she weighed twenty four stone, and to balance out the size ratio, the producer's cast toe toed toe, toe as a St. Bernard. Absolutely massive he was. I mean, looked like a small man in a novelty suit. Merman didn't so much carry him in a basket as pull him alongside her and two reinforced skateboards tied together with an old skipping rope. <laughs> To be fair to the particular pair, they got on like a house on fire. I often bumped into them at Joe Allen's sharing a millionaire's cheesecake post-show. So it does sometimes work, one must admit. I tell you what, that brings back some tertiary memories. Occasionally they'd let me join their table and we would spend the whole night absolutely roaring with laughter. Oh, Ethel was a good hoot, don't get me wrong. But Bernie was honestly one of the funniest dogs I have ever met and enjoyed a bottle of wine with. Honestly, so quick, so bloody quick, so bloody quick you could barely get a word in Edgeworth's. Like a, like a, a young Bob Monk house, only hairier and with a smaller tongue. I could tell Ethel had a soft spot for him. And one night she let me know as much when we were in the cloakroom, aptly fetching our cloaks. Well, it was cloak night. And as I sifted through the various pelts to find hers for her, she took me firmly by the arm, turned me to the window where we could see Bernie outside, sniffing around, then cocking his leg and pissing up a lamppost. And as we watched, smiling, she leaned into me, tightened her grip on my arms and said so softly, I mean to marry him. And she meant it. But, no, alas, it was not to be. Within two days, she was dead. The show had closed and Bernie had left the business. Later, he went into, after dinner speaking, I think, where he met his wife Karen, that's right, who was also from the Canines and had two pups. His son, actually, I'm warming to my theme, uh, was in the business for a time and made a string of children's films, I recall. Bernie ended up in politics with a failed run at the American presidency, which was obviously flawed from the outset. I mean, I remember calling him up and I asking him, what was he thinking? I mean, how, how could he seriously ever have been the president? I told him, I said, Bernie, come on, for goodness sake, think about it. Think for a second what you are. And he agreed, very sheepishly, but figuratively, that he was a dog, that it was entirely unconstitutional. And that he genuinely hadn't realized that you couldn't run for president if you <coughs> excuse me, if you were born in the UK. I mean, I, d- do the research, Maisie. that was the last time I spoke to him. I found out a couple of years ago that he had died at the ripe old age of fourteen. Bernie, the Scent band, I'll never forget you or your fabulous wits. I mean, we really did roar with laughter. especially the knock-knock joke you told me about Doctor Who. Absolutely priceless. You're listening to Talking Theatre with Holworth Felix Stowe-Smooth, the only podcast on Earth about the theatre. Next up, we delve into the other problem area of children, or kids if you're working class. How does an actor deal with a child on stage? Can you hit a child if a child won't do what you ask it to do backstage? What happens if the parents want to get the police involved because they consider your constructive criticism to be plain hateful? All this and more after a few words from this week's sponsors.
0: Do you want to put on a hundred pants? Do you want to get fat like never before? Do you hate your abs and your tight buns? Well, join me, the Blobby Coach, and my 365-day plan and start piling on the pans today. In your 52-week plan, I'll teach you how to avoid exercise, to sit on the sofa watching Netflix and do sui efe. And there's recipes too, like my ultimate pizza. Pick up the phone, order a pizza, wait for it to come, grab your Greg's Donuts, put them on the pizza, garnish it with lemonade, shove it in your face, and that's Fatboy in five seconds. So join me, the Blobby Coach Nair, and say goodbye to those vacuous, annoying, body-obsessed Instagrammers who have to make everyone feel bad about themselves in order to make them feel good about themselves. Join now! The Blobby Coach is a proud sponsor of Talking Theatre, the only podcast on the earth about theatre.
1: Careful the things you say. "'Children will listen. "'Careful the things you do. "'Children will see and learn. "'Guard them, but step away. "'Children will glisten. "'Children will look to you for which way to turn, "'if just to be free.'" So says the composer than the lyricist Stephen Sondheim, an octogenarian lifelong gayman with no children and no discernible experience with parenting. And I think it shows. Sorry, Stephen, as catchy and saccharine as your paint by numbers lyrics are, I'm with Channel 5 Super Nanny on this. Aside from a few good eggs, children are, on the whole, a horrid race, and I'm only glad I never was one. Incidentally, Supernanny Joe Frost, or Frosty Joe to her friend, once sidled up to me at the program's annual benefit for the NSPCC and told me that it was her professional opinion that whilst good children should be nurtured and loved, society gives too much leeway to try and to understand what are simply bad and innately evil children. And what is needed on those occasions is a, quote, quick stick to the legs or head, end quote. And quite right. I must confess to having found people to be most hypocritical in their attitudes to children, it must be said. I mean, people are often quick to court the euthanasist's diatribe when it comes to animals, for instance. One often hears any Tom, Dick or Bobbin say, you wouldn't leave a dog in that situation to suffer, you'd put it down. Yet, if you're at a dinner party and you make a logical comparison and... Politely suggest that if a dog were to act as appallingly as the host children were, you'd have it put down, you're frowned at and asked to leave. Even if you know for sure that the whoopee cushion placed under your seat was done by the little blonde four-year-old with the smug features who thinks she's the new Tommy Cooper, she isn't, by the way, she's a bloody horrible, horrible child. And I wasn't embarrassed at all. I've never been embarrassed by flatulence, and I think she knew that when I chose not to rise to the bait, but rather fish the cushion out from underneath my asshole and throw it at her face across the table. Perhaps I lost my temper in launching it as ferociously as I did, but she must understand that actions have consequences, and that her crocodile tears, or indeed her ability to bruise her own face without touching it after the fact, is neither big nor clever and fools nobody. She's a horrible, horrible girl, as I said, and I feel very sorry for her parents indeed. And before the naysayers write in about a possible aversion to sitting on whoopies, let me tell you now that that could not be further from the truth. I'm well averse to squatting on a whoopie, and let me tell you I like it. If I had to name my favourite, since you've pushed me, I'd have to say Goldberg at the 1986 Academy Awards, and that was because it was by invitation, and because Bobby De Niro had told me she had particularly warm thighs. BUT TO CHILDREN ON THE STAGE! Children have always been involved with the theatre, and whilst I'm sure if I asked you to consider it, you would perhaps be able to strain to think of at least one occasion when you enjoyed at least some of the time you spent watching them. On the whole, it's pretty universally accepted, that children on stage ruin all shows they are in, just like animals. Whether it's greedy orphan Oliver scrounging for more food, or the narcissistic orphan Annie desperate to know where her parents are, Hmm. the stories concerning them are nearly always irrelevant and plain annoying. And then there's the performances. Strange singing, robotic Badly disciplined movement and a cavalier attitude to realism in their delivery, it must be said. I mean, it all draws together in a pathetic ensemble that only a stage parent could really enjoy. And boy, don't they just. I met one mother who used to cry every time she saw her child on stage. I said to her, Madam, if your pride is so great it induces you to tears, you ought to see a psychiatrist. But it didn't perturb her. She continued to sit on the end of her seat, cheering him on like he was Marlon bloody Brando. It was quite sickening to watch, actually. I mean, I knew Brando, and this five-year-old was no bloody Brando. Deluded parents aside, the rest of us on the whole will sit watching any and all children on stage and wonder why the stage manager doesn't simply hit the lights and put the little turds out of their misery. Often quite literally. When I went to the press night of Matilda the Musical, I was so incensed at the children's poor stagecraft. I mean, by the end of Act One, my guest for the night told me I was audibly hexing them, trying to summon a demon to wipe them all out in one fell swoop. We've all been there. We've all been there. It pains me at this juncture to have to bring up something which I could not go on without addressing. It is very much how you might say the draft in the corridor of this episode, and in particular of the children on the stage. And so I must mention the name Colin Gopher. Much has been written about me in relation to dear Colin, and it's true that in nineteen seventy four at the stage door of the Vaudeville Theatre, I was arrested for his murder after the first preview of the now infamous Ekbornean farce, Bugger off Brenda! Exclamation mark. We both appeared in the show as did a small child, who I can only describe as a boy, because he was, by the name of Harry. Now, in the third act, after the capers and the crumpets scene, my character, Herbert Fingerin pulls a knife on Colin's character, Helmet In It Is, and then lunges at him. However, Harry's character, the young page boy, Toby Muffler, runs in and shouts very loudly, You've got the wrong horse wangler, interrupting the slang, and my character drops the knife. All three laugh at their mistake, gather up their fish and make off stage left on a tandem and scene. Now, the late great Peters Hall, who directed the play, insisted we use a real knife because it looked better and because I never got anywhere near Colin. In fact, I was the entire width of the stage away from him, so it was quite the run-up. I'd say almost four seconds at full pelt. But on the very first preview, Harry missed his cue, and with no impetus to stop, and prioritising the story and its realism to the audience over dear Colin's life, I ran him through with the blade. Sure and certain in the knowledge that were he to perish, Colin would be glad to lose his life doing what he loved and maintaining a professional level of stagecraft... At all times. Because the story is everything. Now, regardless of the fact that up to that point, for almost a decade actually, I'd been running the registered charity Keep Children Off Stage, I really feel that it was here I lost my patience with them entirely. As I said to the Marshal at Arms, had Harry made his cue, Colin would be alive today. And more importantly, the show would not have closed after one performance. Her Majesty's Police agreed with me and after five days of questioning and a lengthy court battle, I was acquitted of all charges. Meantime, Harry has never had to answer for his actions, and I'm sure he never will, because like all children, he's gutless when it comes to the crunch. I know his family have printed some fairly robust criticism of my behaviour that evening, but I'll say what I said to the telegraph at the time. If you really think that just because I happen to be holding the knife and was the one who ran full pelt and plunged it deep into his chest, that I should be responsible for his death. I don't know what to say to you. Yes, Colin Gopher will always have a special place in my heart, and I'm sure me in his, along with the blade. In order for me to write about dear Goffi, my producer and I had to seek permission from his estate, and I present the following statement from them, which they insisted I include, should I wish to use his name, which I do wish, and I must. I must also warn that the delivery of the following statement is very fast, and this is simply due to a timing issue with the episode, not at all to do with the content or the opinions. We do disagree on some points, it's true, but I would always defend their right to speak as they wish. Sir Felix Felixstowe Smooth's account of the evening is and continues to be a mix of urban legend and half-truth. Whilst Harry was expected to interject, the stage manager confirmed at the time that the boy had been in chronic pain and could not go on. Something Smooth was told in the interval. We respect Holworth's position, but his negligence in not listening to redirection has cost us our grandfather's life. For the record, he was not acquitted. The case was thrown out because evidence had been mishandled by the police. All we want is the truth, and pray one day it will out sobering stuff, and they're right, in a way, when they imply that if only that child had not missed his cue, Colin would be alive. Children in theatre. What more need be said? Children in theatre. When it comes to food, there seems little point in me regaling you with either of my two unpleasant personal experiences on stage with sustenance, both of which involve custard and Arnold Schwarzenegger, nor is it worth retelling any of the myriad of stories my fellow actors have taken the time to write in with. Thanks, guys. I know you're all struggling for work, but uh, get your own fucking podcast. No, all that's left of me to say is that just like animals and children, both of which I've mentioned before, food will ruin every single show that it is in. I mean, I can't stress that enough. But as this lecture is supposed to be educational, I will give a short citation here for the young actors out there regarding which foods are particularly nasty to work with and why, and in the interest of balance, uh, a list of foods that can, in the right circumstances, be pleasant and useful to share a stage with. And so first to the bad. Jelly, difficult to hold. Peas, too small. Watermelons, too big. Bananas, phallic appearance, which pulls focus. Cucumber, as with bananas. Butternut squash, as with banana and cucumber, but a little bit more niche. Eggs, boil under the lights. Crisp, noisy and smelly and crunchy and noisy. Chocolate, melts. Cheese, melts. Ice cream, melts. Sorbet, melts. Potatoes, deceptively heavy. Spinach, poor man's roughage. Mayonnaise, very untrustworthy. And to the good. Tuna cans, long-lasting. Sunflower oil, used to varnish stage. Chunky soup, vomit substitute. Nutella, faeces substitute. Butter, malleable. Cherries, easily hidden around the set. Bread, carbs for energy. Sherbet can double as cocaine. Strawberries, inject sugar into a flailing scene. Cadbury's 12, doubles as a fine Cuban cigar. Cooked spaghetti, emergency wig. Light meats are a good source of protein. Grapes can swallow whole if given a surprise quick cue. Horseradish, just a lovely sauce. Spam. Well, goodness me, we've reached the end of this lecture already, didn't it go quick? Oh, it's been a hard one this week. I, I feel it's been an ordinary grumpy in tone and just a little bit negative. And I, I, I must confess, it's been tempting to lighten the mood, but um, looking black-eyed... Glad I didn't. In fact, I feel so strongly about the knowledge I've imparted today that I must summarise it one more time and say firmly to all actors and anybody thinking of joining the industry to do everything they can to keep animals, children and food out of the theatre and off the stage. They ruin every show they're in and if I had my way, I'd have a restraining order on them to sort the business once and for all. Can't fucking stand them. To correspondence. As always, for the final moments, we at Talking Theatre like to take time to look over the large pile of correspondence I'm sent and pick one at random to read. And it's not just the only one I'll reply to, but indeed the only one I'll open and read at all. So it really is a lucky and a very, very special thing. This week, Peter Fungleberry, 42, from Manoeberary, gets in touch with a very curious question indeed. Hello, Peter. He says... Hiya, Holworth, Can I just say how much I'm enjoying this series? I live alone with two cats who are both desperately old and close to the end. I've been alone my whole life, and George and Mildred are the 21st and 22nd cats, respectively, I've owned, and the thought of losing them fills me with an unbearable pain that can't be tempered by anything other than your podcast, it seems. It really has been of great comfort in those long nights, sat up, nursing the cats who both suffer immeasurably and need 24-7 care. Though my days and nights are dark, your podcast on repeat has brought the cats and I nice some light. I hope you don't mind me writing to you to ask, but I felt this was the perfect week. I know you're a fan of animals on stage, and... so I wondered: have you ever thought a particular role was probably better suited to being played by an animal than a human? If so, which role and which animal, and why? Yours truly, Peter. Oh, Pieter Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter! Oh, Peter, Peter! Oh, oh, Mister Fungleberry from Anuberary. Thank you so much for your letter. I'm so glad you've been enjoying the series so far, and that it's brought you great comforts, even if there's only been one 29-minute episode released. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what what modern-day technology can do for people. How it can reach out. It, it reminds me of the time Maggie Smith once was drunk as a skunk and crawling underneath the banquet table at the Buckingham Palace function in the early 90s. She she grabbed my ankles, hoisted herself up between my legs and whispered to me that technology was ruining her career and that could she have another Moscow mule brought to her because she was dry as a bone in the desert? But, you know, I disagreed with her then and I, I disagree with her now about the technology. Um, I've come into your ears and you like it. And that is a wonder. Now, to your central question, do I believe there is a part that really is more suited to an animal than a human? And what is that part? And and what is the animal? And, and why? Do you, know, do, you, do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know, you know, Peter? It's funny you should ask this. And I know I've spent nearly 20 minutes saying emphatically that animals should essentially be shot if they get within a mile of a theatre. But I've always thought it would be so interesting to see Macbeth and Lady Macbeth played by a couple of horses. Thoroughbreds, I think, would be best. Just those two parts, of course. It, it wouldn't suit the other parts. There's nothing in the text that justifies it. But, but, but then you look at much of what Macbeth and Lady Macbeth get up to and you think, what do you think? Horses. I mean, I've played Macbeth 15 times and every time I'm brought back to the same notion. Horses. I mean, it's all there, of course. I'm, I, I'm not convinced that that wasn't Shakespeare's original intention. Horses. For, for them to be played by horses. I mean, take the uh, out-damn-spot scene where Lady Macbeth is trying to wash the blood from her hands. I've washed my hands. It's very easy. So it just does not make sense. But but you try getting the blood out of a hoof. Hooves are essentially matted hair. I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about. Imagine it. Horses. Imagine it. Out-damn-spot! Oh, will these hooves ne'er be clean! Wonderful. And, and I think it would be so arresting to see Macbeth, this wonderful stallion, fight Macduff, a, a real man at the end. You know, to see man versus beast in a fist fight, a, a stallion draped in the Scottish flag, kicking and jumping at a man who was trying to punch it in the long face, is an ultimate finale to a show. I mean, I think it must be done. It's, it's funny you should ask, actually, Pietro, because I, I mentioned this to Trevor Nunn not long ago in Hope he might take it on, but uh, he didn't agree. And shouted in my face that it wouldn't work. Before prising open the doors and jumping off of the moving tram we were on, he's always been very sprightly. Anyway, that would be my stage choice: Macbeth and Lady Macbeth played by horses. If stage doesn't suit you and you'd like a film option, then I'd I'd probably say uh, Ariel from the enchanting Disney film, The Little Mermaid. Um, she could be played by a whole fish rather than a human with a fishtail, uh, as is the custom. But I think it would give an interesting perspective on the fish's point of view and, and add a sense of realism that the current film lacks. I don't know about you, Pieter, but I've always found it ludicrous that a man should fall in love with her in her current state. Sure, she has beautiful flowing hair and a lovely pair of jubblies, but for goodness sake, you don't have to be a seaman to know she'd absolutely stink and attempting to consider how they might realise their love, shall we say, when our bottom half is as it is, doesn't bear thinking about. Sorry, I was thinking about it. No, 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 put, put, put a whole fish in place, and you know what you're getting. It's all or nothing in this business, and it's time the industry stopped ignoring this marginalised group and gave fish rolls to fish. I mean, I really, really believe that. I really do. I hope that answers your question, Peter. Best of luck with your old pussies. If they must pass, and they must, let us pray it is in relative peace. To you, Peter Fungleberry, from a newberry, I say, (laughs) good-bye. That's it for today. Join me, Sir Holworth, with So Smooth, next time, when we'll be discussing performance techniques in the aptly titled episode, Acting Stage vs. Screen. We'll be delving into what the key differences between the performing styles are, and asking the all-important questions like... If the camera is in extreme close-up, do I need to wear trousers? How does an actor stop from falling off the stage? And how do TV soap actors create soulless, 2 dimensional characters so well? I do hope you'll join me. This has been Talking Theatre, the only podcast
0: on Earth about theatre. And so, to you, I say, good day.